right, so today is Ask the Ministers, and we got Reverend Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hey. Hello. Got a rainbow going on. I got my rainbow going on. I call her my little sister. My big sister. Yeah, I'm her big sister. Yes. Okay, so we got some questions going on, right? That's what I hear. Yeah, and so I'll start off with them, and, and then we'll kind of go from there. How about that? That work? I might have to interrupt you if you go too long. I, I'll try real hard not to. You got two ministers in uh -huh. the house. Let's see. She just did it. So the first set of questions has to do with licensed teachers. They're asking about um, certification, them being certified. And I'm not going to really touch on that. I'm going to invite you to come on Wednesday and talk with the staff. Um, you, you have to register, so contact Keith and uh, get registered to come and hear um, Lynn O'Dell, Reverend Lynn O'Dell and her staff talk about the Licensed Unity Teacher Program as well as the Ministerial Program. Okay, so that's what you have. The next one asks about my vision, I guess it's my vision of the church, and I had talked about it when I was here March 20th. Basically, here's the deal. My vision is really involved with your vision. What is it that you want to see? Who is it that you want to be and show up in the world? I'm already getting it, you know, with, with you know, what's happening with social justice, you know, the beautiful grounds we have are amazing. It, it's so many things that is the vision of this church, and I aligned with it. That's why I'm here. A question asked if we would bring back the Spirit Sound Choir, and absolutely. Um, we just have to navigate how that would happen. One of the things that you guys wanted over the next three years is to have uh, a new music director. And so i am already got my feelers out there. And if any of you know of anyone, just kind of bring that person to my attention and we'll see what we'll do. And so, yes, let's envision a possibility of that choir and even more. The next question asks, does the Bible have a place in unity? Yes. I'm going to say yes, at least for me. Um, when I came into unity, I was told that the Bible was our primary text. We do have other books that we use. You know, I, I may pull from all kinds of spiritual communities. But does it have a place in unity? I would say yes. What about you, Rev. Kelly? Yeah, so I'm not quite as black and white. Uh, because um, in I um, so I guess I could give the short answer that <clears throat> yes there is a potentially a place for the Bible in unity. Um, the ch where I get challenged is since I'm not in one church, I work with churches all over the country and and several different seminaries, um, international ones as well as here in the United States. I have a much larger picture of the Bible's role you know, the Bible's place in unity. And what I have found is that uh, that um, it has a place in unity if you use it right. <laughs> and so what I mean by that is that, one, you actually have to learn 
what it really is. We have a tendency in unity to, we don't like a particular scripture, we don't like the way something is worded, so we just slap on a metaphysical interpretation, which is really just putting pink frosting on something, putting interpretation on something that we already don't understand. So it doesn't really do us, it doesn't really do us, um, it doesn't make the Bible as meaningful and as challenging, as engaging as it could be. I'll give you a, for instance, when I teach Jesus teachings, um, I don't teach, I don't take like the parable of loaves and fishes and give you metaphysical interpretations for bread and fish and 5,000 people and all this. And the reason I don't do that is that for the most part, people don't, don't actually have an understanding historically, anthropologically, linguistically, culturally, politically of of the the texts themselves, and if we really did, because um, we don't even get the teachings, we don't even get the teachings. Never mind layer on some metaphysical interpretation. Like if we actually understood love, forgiveness, love your neighbor, those some basic teachings from Jesus, you don't need the metaphysical interpretation. You just don't. It's hard enough just in its original form, and um, let's take those on. So that's a roundabout way of saying, yes, I think there is a place uh, and we need to, we, meaning leadership, I think needs to be much, um, much better equipped, much more, a deeper foundation, a deeper education so that we can educate those that we're talking with and afflict their comfort around it and find the places where, because I know a lot of people Unity is referred to as a refuge religion because there's woundedness around scripture. And and rather than bring the woundedness with you and just say, throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's take a look at what it really is. Thank you. Next question, does Unity teach that Jesus Christ was divine? Well, I look at it like Jesus is the person who showed us the way right? The way to the divinity that everyone has, that is not exclusive to him. And that's what really got me in the unity is that, like, he's not just like up on a pedestal off in some distant far land that nobody can touch, you know, kind of like God up in the sky with a beard, right? That changes to Santa Claus for Christmas. So I think of Jesus as a more broader picture of it. What about you, Reverend Kelly? I think that, uh, so unity teaches that Jesus is um, as divine as you and I. That Jesus, that we are each fully human and fully divine. There was really nothing inherently special about Jesus except he had a good press agent. So we still have him today, (laughs) 2000 years later. That's some sarcasm, some Jesus sarcasm. A little bit. Um, and I say it that that directly and that, you know, kind of a little bit in your face. As Edith said, bring them down out of the clouds. Bring them down off the pedestal. Jesus worked with, People. you know, just in the mud, in the muck, down in everyday life as we do. Yes. I think if Jesus was here today, he would hang out with transgender people. He would be out there going to the march. That was the kind of radical person he was. And we need to let him be that instead of some cloudy figure, right? And the same thing with a minister. I'm a minister. Don't put me on a pedestal for it so I can fall off it far. It's a hard hit. It's such a hard hit. Oh, my God, my minister. Face war. 
That's you know, why I swear. It, yeah. That's why I swear. I know, right? Yeah. Just got to say a little swear word every now and then just to help come down off the dang pedestal so you'll understand I'm fully human. And I get up and boogie. I but I think, you know, the fully human, fully divine piece, yes. what we, as you said, Jesus being a way shower, what we get is how to live our divinity through our yes. humanity. They're yes. not two separate things. Really, they're not. They're, um, we live our, you know, that's how, that's how God is known is through our humanity, right. you know, through your personality. Yeah. We're not trying to transcend the human experience. We're, we're wanting to engage it and live it and be it. In fact, I think that sometimes Jesus would say two things, I think, about us gathering on Sunday morning. Because he was, he was a, he did follow his Hebrew tradition. He absolutely went to temple. He absolutely learned Torah. He, he and Talmud and, and taught it. And so, so there's a place for reverence and pausing and the prayer and the meditation. And then he would say, get up off your affirmations, get out of the building and go do something. Yes. And that's what we're doing. We're doing it. We're doing something. We're taking action. That's what the fifth principle talks about. Not just sit there and pray and meditate, la, 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 la. But what are you going to do to make your life and everyone around you better? Like all of us. Okay, next question. What does unity teach about sin? Kelly, you could start. Well, sin is against my religion, so I'm not sure that I... So what, uh, there's a lot of definitions floating around about sin, you know, some that have come down through the ages in unity. And, and um, I think that we have, <clears throat> often what I see is people sort of, it can take on new meaning in terms of metaphysical malpractice, in terms of people, um, you know, uh, the, thinking of the idea of sin uh, one, either that it doesn't exist or if I'm doing something or that that old one, you know, missing the mark. Um, the problem I have with that missing the mark is that what follows with it, not spoken, but energetically is that you've done something wrong. And so it all it does is point to our sense of inadequacy or our sense of unworthiness rather than um, just acknowledging that we're fully human and fully divine. And I don't even use the word. I'll, I, I can define it in a lot of different ways, the way unity has over the decades. And a sin is just, oh, messed up. Keep moving. You know, I think it's a place for us to, to there isn't anything wrong with, in, there isn't anything inherently wrong with guilt, but we take it to shame. Yeah. If I did some, if I missed the mark, then I must be doing something wrong. No. Uh, so, um, unity, um, I don't, I don't hear a lot of people, um, certainly younger generations actually using the word and it's not a, it's, it's, you know, finding a way to talk about, um, I messed up and I'm moving on. It's right. just, the, it's an accountability thing of, oh, I could have been better Yeah. there. I, I could have, here's a place in hindsight, I could have. Maybe I wasn't living my most noble self, but not taking the shame along with it. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I think about it the same way. Um, I, you know, that it, it, if it's a sin, 
some of the, the, the connotations about sin is really based on like a traditional Christianity yeah. kind of thing, like what we you know, may have had in our, our youth or maybe some people in our family may, may have. And so we may still be carrying around those ideas of what it is, just like hell, you know, and hell was a place. You know, it was Gehenna. It, it, it wasn't like down under the earth or anything where they burned garbage in Gehenna. Um, so, so when I think about sin, I think about I made a mistake. I simply made a mistake. And that mistake I can, you know, shift to some other way of being with it. Mistakes happen all the time. I dropped my mic today, and I wanted to say shit, and I didn't. And, but I thought it, you know, and I was like, why? On the second Sunday, this stupid thing happens. Okay, all right, I made a mistake. All right. I also think of it as an acronym, swimming in negativity, because if I get stuck in that, then I'm going to be negative. I'm going to be thinking about, oh, my goodness, like the housing market is doing whatever it does. And, yeah, I could give you a whole plethora of how I can be stuck inside of that, the negative thoughts about things. And so, um, yeah, so I hope that whoever asked that question, that we gave you a little bit, but also left you in the question of it. Yeah, never answer a good question with an answer. No. Never answer a good question. <laughs> okay, next question. How can we apply Myrtle and Charles Fillmore's healing principles to bring results in our lives today? I'll give that to you to start with, Kelly. Well, it's almost a trick question. A uh, bit. Insofar as which healing principles are you referring to? And who are you asking? So there is no hard and fast, there's not a checklist, you know, to go through. What I will tell you is that um, Myrtle was much more, um, she equated healing the practice of, of affirmative prayer and meditation and healing her body. She equated it to mathematics. So she was very organized. You do this, you do this, you do this. Charles waited around a couple of years to see what Myrtle was doing and what would happen before he kind of said, okay, I'll try it out. Um, but Myrtle was very analytical about it. She was very um, disciplined, disciplined and obedient. Two words that unity people just love, discipline <laughs> and obedience. Um, but she was, she was, um, she was very clear um, and not like she's stuck with one thing and just do that. She, there was a measure of um, trial and error. And she, two things I will say, uh, at one place in some of her um, writings, and I've spent thousands of hours reading letters, the unpublished stuff in the archives, and there's two things that hop out at me. And one is, she says, step one is for, um, uh, for healing. She says, step one is to believe. And um, step two is to be open and um, receptive to the healing stream of life. So what I tell my students, and we'll do this actually in the healing and wholeness SE class, is when I say believe, my question is believing in what? And where I go with that is are you believing in process or are you believing in outcome? And which one is better? Yes, because it's, it's paradoxical in nature. Um, and she often says, we don't care about results. What we care about is a shift in consciousness yes. that would make the results abiding. So that's a process kind of thing. 
And then the other part being open and receptive to a healing stream of life is, well, what is the healing stream of life? The healing stream of life is not always all the things that, that are comfortable and, oh, yay, peace. And the healing stream of life is all of life. Yes. And sometimes life looks like doo-doo. And that is ours. Some of the most difficult people in our lives are our master teachers. So that's a healing stream of life. It points me to that which in me needs my attention, needs my focus, needs my um, nurturing, right? Needs my compassion. Yes. And, and you know, um, just to, to add on to that, you know, what does healing look like? Right. Does healing happen in the moment that we centered ourselves and you know, said that affirmative prayer or affirmation or whatever, or does it take time, you know? Um, I've said, I got real present to it when thinking about people who were enslaved as they came across the Middle Passage, and I wondered if their prayers got answered. Mm. I believe they got answered right then in that moment, but they're also being answered as us. Right. In, in you, Edith, right in, here. In right me now. and in us, all yes. of us, right? Yes. Like the healing can happen, but it may take time to manifest. That's that process and end result that Kelly's talking about. And so it's not that it doesn't happen. People say, oh, why aren't I healed from this particular thing? I prayed about it. Well, we're declaring it right then and there. But the manifestation of it may not appear in that moment. It may not appear in our own body. It may appear in, you know, someone else down the line. And right. so we have to know that healing happens when we pray. Okay. All right. How do we let go of fear and judgment when we see so much violence and chaos in the world? All right, Kelly, what you got? Well, I would, I would, um, a quick footnote that says, see above, um, Kind of what we just said. It um, is. It's, and for me, I would also say it's not a it's not a function of letting go. It's a function of integration. Yes. So when I'm afraid, when I'm having judgment, it's there's it's it's we're being invited into our shadow work, really. Which means think of the fear, think of the judgment, think of the the anger, the frustration, the arg. I want to you know somebody needs a high five in the face with a chair right now, and all of that energy running through me think of it as a screaming baby and what we do with a screaming baby is we pick the baby up and we bring it home we rest it on our chest we feel the heartbeat that's the same thing with fear and judgment they're elements of ourselves that need our attention so rather than and everybody is into this let it go let it go let it go that's just really metaphysically trying to push something away which doesn't do that but rather bring it home for healing so that um you know, so what that I see, you know, outside of me, I, I'm building my capacity to hold the charge of violence, to hold the charge of chaos, not because it's necessarily going to change, but I show up differently. Yeah, and that's perfectly true. That's why um, continuous learning is so important and so vital. That's why we're having this quest question and answering today, because SEE in the field starts this evening. You know, I'm I'm registered. I'm, re I'm registered for your class, by the way. Just saying. Um, hey. 
and I can't take all the rest of them because my granddaughter's graduating on Thursday from, from uh, high school, and I must go to Minneapolis because it's the first graduation in our family of the grandkids because the rest of them had graduations in 2020, and there was no college graduations. There was no high school graduations, so grandma got to go. But anyway, um, back to taking classes. Just because she and I are ordained doesn't mean that we stopped the learning. I learned that a long time ago from a unity minister that said they didn't need to learn anything anymore. They were in 12 steps and said they didn't need to go to 12 steps meetings anymore because they were a minister. And they were a little bit of a butthead, <laughs> swimming in all of their negativity. And how do you really feel, Edith? <laughs> I was pissed. Okay, so, so but, but I learned from that pissed offness. And what happens in, in, in what I'm learning today is I'm actually, I'm in this intensive nonviolent communications year-long study. And for about a year and a half now, I've learned more about feelings, my feelings. And, and you know, when things happen like fear or judgment or like the things that happened in the world in this last couple of weeks, that I actually feel it somewhere in my body. And so when I get quiet with myself, I can say, wow, I'm angry. I'm really pissed off. And I noticed that I feel it right here at the top of my diaphragm or in my butt. Why would I have pain in my butt? I don't know. But being able to connect the feelings with the body is transformative when it wasn't before. I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware that these things landed in us. And so what Kelly is talking about is not so much a letting it go, but actually noticing where, where is it affecting me at? And this is where learning and growth, this is what transforms our lives so we show up in the world differently than we had maybe even yesterday. Okay. Last question. It's a big one. How can we help each other come from compassion and see the Christ consciousness in all ourselves and others, including those who appear to be doing the attacking. Piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> what you got for that, Miss Kelly? So what I have for that is uh, there is very often a, a misunderstanding within unity around the difference and the teaching of Christ and Christ consciousness. Yes. Christ consciousness is different for each person. Think of Christ consciousness as, so there's the Christ, right? Which is um, divine mind. It's the, the what we are, right? It's divine mind. It's that, um, you know, God mind. The one divine idea is the Christ. Christ consciousness is how that is made manifest through us. And because each of us is at different stages of development, different, you know, ask me how I'm doing right now and then ask again in two hours, ask again tonight in class, you know, kind of where I'm at in consciousness, which is consciousness is I'm aware of what I'm aware of and, and how we live that Christ through ourselves. It's still what we are, but it's malleable and it's changeable because it's filtered through me. So some days I am living my Christ consciousness like nobody's business, right? I am... Grounded, I'm centered, I'm, I'm full on. Other, other days, 
maybe just little ekes out in little ways of compassion and kindness and silliness and support. So the question is 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 a good question. It's just uh, it's bigger than than um, how can I help each other? Um, help yourself. <laughs> um, you know, do our own work because then we are magnets. Yes. We think of yourself as a giant antenna, <laughs> right? Um, putting out and receiving signals. So think of yourself as this giant antenna receiving, you know, uh, signals and giving signals. And that's how you help someone else, um, really. And, and know in any moment in terms of Christ consciousness, what you are and how I might be living my, my best self, or as we say, a project sanctus, get our holy on, right? Living my most noble self. Um, and um, it's not to, and so in terms of other people who appear to be attacking, it's not about making excuses for everyone. It's just, it's understanding doesn't mean agreement. So understanding that clearly not living their best self, but making, bringing it back to me. Yeah. And it always starts with us. Yeah. It starts with who we are, how we're showing up in the world. Have you ever noticed yourself when you get angry that you have this certain, like, tightness that happens in your body? Have you noticed that? And that even if you don't say anything, everyone knows? Because it's a vibration. And when you're angry, or I'm going to say when I'm angry, it's really dense. And it's like I put this wall up and I said, don't touch me. Don't even look at me. And it's the fear from when I came from, you know, I brought up from 62 years ago or 60, I don't know, whatever. And, and, and it's all coming up to say, I'm afraid and you're not going to hurt me, so don't touch me. But on the flip side, how is it when we're really happy and, and everything's working great, that that also, that energy radiates out from us. And that is that Christ that is always there seeking to emerge, that we get to bring it out. But it only gets brought out as we continue to practice. And the more we practice, the more it shows up, even if someone is, quote, attacking us, even when they're attacking someone. So when you see and hear all these good, great things that people are doing in the world when attacks happen, they have tapped into that, whether they actually know that they're tapped into it or not. Right. You get that? But I think the more we practice, the more it shows up like that. The Christ is the prelude to Christ consciousness. Yes. The Christ is really always there. Yep. It is that divinity part that we talked about when we began this. It is the part that is changeless, never changes. But our humanness is where we kind of get in the muckety-muck, right? We want to be more of that Christ self, but it can't happen unless we practice. And we get to decide how it manifests, too, what it looks like. Yes. Does it look like joy? Does it look like compassion? Yes. Does it look like, you know... Um, Does it look like dancing? Does it look like dancing, silliness, you know, passionate strength? You know, what does it look like? Yes. Yes. I think we're complete with our questions now, Ms. Kelly. I think we've gabbed enough. We, we've done enough. And, and uh, yeah, so thank you. Thank, we want to thank Ms. Reverend Kelly. Thank you. You can still sign up for her class if you want to or other classes just because you want to. There's conscious anti-racism and healing and wholeness. And quite a bit we talked about this morning is in the healing and wholeness. Yes.
messages. Okay, so let us move to our time of meditation. <sighs> I want you to settle yourselves and just be really, really still. Dropping down for a moment from the head down to the heart. And think about for a moment someone you love and appreciate. And now I invite you to take a breath in and breathe into your heart space all of that love, all of that appreciation you just thought of. Breathing in and breathing it through the heart. Breathing in and breathing it through the heart. One more time as we create this tri triangle of love. Breathing in and breathing it through the heart. It may be a two-legged person. It may be a four-legged person. It may have wings. Just bringing that to the space, creating a vibration of love and appreciation. And in this moment, we acknowledge the pure essence of divinity we are. What does that divinity look like? Perhaps it looks like you and me. And in this field of consciousness that we're creating, we, we allow that vibration of love, peace, harmony, balance, whatever comes up in your mind, to flow in our bodies from our heart down to every cell and every artery, every vein every organ. And we take a few moments to sit in this vibration that we've created. And we say these words to ourselves. I love myself so much so I can love you so much. I love myself so much so I can love you so much. In the silence, we join our hearts together as one vibration. In the silence, we go deeper together.
love. I am love. I love myself so much so I can love you so much. So you can love you so much. So you can start loving me. That's by Ricky Byers. And in this expanded state of consciousness, we allow that feeling to resonate in our whole bodies from the top of our head down to the bottom of our toenails. We love. We are. We seek love and we give love. In this moment, just speak in your mind someone that you want to love today. You can speak it in your mind or speak it out loud. If there's someone you have a prayer request for, you can speak that name out loud or speak it into this room, into the chat room. For we were founded on prayer. We allow that prayer consciousness, this awareness of the divine flow to be us now. May you speak those names. So we hold it in this field of consciousness we're in. My mother, Arla, and my dad, Leonard. All of the people from all over the world who just want to be loved. In this moment, we gather this love together. And so it is. And so we know that it's up to us. And we let it be. Amen and Amen.